Major funding for Backstory is provided by the Shia Khan Foundation, the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Joseph and Robert Cornell Memorial Foundation, and the Arthur Vining Davis Foundations. From the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities, this is Backstory with the American History Guys. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Ed Ayers here with Brian Ballow. Hey there, Ed. And Peter Onuf. Hey, Ed. And Yale historian Beverly Gage, too. Hi, all. We're doing something a little different today. We've invited Beverly to do a special midweek podcast. She's a historian who's written about the FBI, and there just happens to be a big news item that broke last Friday evening involving the Bureau. Important breaking news. The FBI Director James Comey has just sent a letter to the eight chairmen of the Senate and House committees who have been investigating the Hillary Clinton email scandal, in which he says there will be a new investigation, among other things. The investigation is the biggest political scandal since Watergate. It's pretty strange to put something like that out with such little information right before an election. We're hoping to have more of these midweek podcasts responding to major news stories in the coming months. But don't worry. We'll also be back on Friday with an hour-long backstory episode on the history of voting rights in your podcast feed. So be sure to check that out. Now, let's get to the sticky situation with the FBI and the presidential election. Bev, you're a historian who studied the FBI. What does the current flap look like to you through the lens of history? I guess my main reaction is, oh, I've seen this before in some <laughs> sense. FBI interference in elections is almost as old as the FBI itself. So uh, from the very beginning, the FBI, which started as a tiny little department called the Bureau of Investigation in the Justice Department in 1908 and became the FBI in the 1930s. But even before it was the FBI, it was really enmeshed in politics. Some of its earliest scandals were because uh, agents were sent to rifle through the papers of various senators at the behest of other senators or at the behest of the president who uh, were saying things that people didn't like. So on the one hand, the FBI is set up to be this very professional and independent bureaucracy. On the other hand, it's deep in the Washington swamp uh, and always has been. Um, for J. Edgar Hoover, who is really the man who dominated the FBI for most of the 20th century, he was there uh, from 1924 to 1972, so 48 years, slightly wow. less than half of the 20th century. He was the head of the FBI. Most of what went on there, he had a direct hand in. Um, his record is very checkered in terms of um, the FBI's involvement in elections. So in 1948, he uh, actually helped out Tom Dewey, who was running against Harry Truman, because he was pretty sure Truman was going to lose. And he so was everybody very else. <laughs> exactly. And he was very excited about the fact that Truman was going to lose because he thought Truman was a terrible president. What did Hoover do in the 1948 election? 
he sort of helped the Dewey campaign with some advice, with some information, uh, with some support from agents, but it was all behind the scenes. And so people in Washington had some sense that this was going on, but it wasn't so much coming out with a set of public accusations. Of course, he bet on the wrong horse there and <laughs> suffered quite a bit for it over the next four years. But he didn't lose Truman. his job, right? He did not lose his job. He never lost his job. He died. As so how does he? Oh, he must have had dirt on Truman. Well, so this is so. Uh, when you think about Hoover, there are kind of two ways of explaining how it is that he lasted uh, for so many presidents, Democrats and Republicans, 48 years of them. Um, and one is that he had the dirt on people in Washington. And that is certainly true. Um, he knew a lot about presidents and their backgrounds and congressmen and senators, and he had files. Um, on the other hand, he also was this incredibly popular figure in ways that we find, I think, difficult to imagine today. He was a huge cultural force. He had massive popular constituencies that would have rebelled uh, if presidents had fired him. And so the two presidents who really thought about it seriously, uh, John Kennedy and Harry Truman, Nixon a little bit too, uh, all three of them, they decided they couldn't fire him because he was too popular and the political backlash would be too extreme. So what are some of the techniques that he used in a presidential elections, Bev? Well, I think the one that is the most like what we are seeing today is what happened in 1964. So that was the Johnson-Goldwater election. And Hoover was very good friends with Johnson. They really liked each other. They lived across the street from each other. <laughs> they used to walk their dogs together. And actually, Johnson, uh, Hoover gave Johnson a dog that Johnson named Edgar. And so there are these very cute pictures mm. of Johnson on the White it House lawn. It wasn't a listening device, was it? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was genuine affection, if you can imagine that. This is uh, a disturbing Jay image. Edgar I'm Hoover sorry. <laughs> and Lyndon Johnson. So he had his little dog Edgar. Now, when you name your dog after someone, is that a compliment? Is it not a compliment? We can uh, we can debate that. Is it even a choice in this case? <laughs> exactly. Um, Hoover and Johnson were, in fact, very close. And just a few weeks before the 1964 election, Johnson's right-hand man, his closest aide, a man named Walter Jenkins, was arrested for having sex with another man in a YMCA bathroom in Washington. Um, and this became a huge scandal just weeks before the election uh, because at the time, one of the ways that homosexuality was thought about in Washington was that if you were gay, you right. could be blackmailed. And if you had access to classified secrets and you could be blackmailed, maybe you were giving up secrets to the Soviet Union. Um, so this was <laughs> a big scandal in the 1964 election. And the Republicans really seized hold of it, said uh, that um, – that Walter Jenkins was a national security risk. And so in that case, Lyndon Johnson turned to Hoover and said, I need you to do an investigation. I need you to do it and get it done before the election. Um, and the FBI really went to work on it, did a very fast, incredibly thorough. You can imagine what these interviews were like, right, given the situation um, and a very uncomfortable but pretty thorough investigation. And then quickly came out and said, of course, uh, loyal 
early with Lyndon Johnson that Walter Jenkins had not given up any national security secrets and uh, Johnson went on to win in a landslide. Now, that's probably not the main reason that Johnson won that election, (laughs) but I think it's easy to forget how tenuous it seemed at the time. And Goldwater himself really thought this was an issue. This was something he was going to really be able to make an impact about. So what was the larger consequence of that? Did it come and go and nobody really thought, oh, gosh, that was a close call. We better make sure nothing like this happens again. Well, part of the consequence was that uh, Lyndon Johnson was very grateful to J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) Um, Hoover had actually done a bunch of things since the moment that Kennedy was assassinated to sort of help Johnson gain political legitimacy, um, including uh, sort of working with Johnson um, to shape the assassination investigation itself, right? Johnson was very concerned that theories of um, that the Soviet Union had been involved, that the Cubans had been involved, that this was going to turn into a major international crisis. Um, mm. And so Hoover kind of helped calm a lot of those fears for better or worse. Uh, so now there are lots of questions still about the Kennedy assassination. It's partly because they were, in fact, trying to control the investigation in some ways. And then after the election, uh, Johnson sort of rewarded Hoover by more or less letting him do what he wanted for the next four years. So some of the worst things that we associate uh, with the FBI, you know, the threatening letters to Martin Luther King, really widespread um, harassment of the civil rights movement. A lot of those actually happened under Johnson in part because Johnson wasn't keeping Hoover under a, under a very tight rein. So let's play a clip of tape of James Comey speaking last year at Georgetown University. He acknowledged the FBI's problematic and very political past. This wasn't a speech about police and race, but I think his point is relevant to what we're talking about today. There is a reason that I require all new agents and analysts to study the FBI's interaction with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there is a reason I keep on my desk a copy of Attorney General Robert Kennedy's approval of J. Edgar Hoover's request to wiretap Dr. King. It is a single page. The entire application is five sentences long. It is without fact or substance and is predicated on the naked assertion that there is, quote, communist influence in the racial situation. The reason I do those things is to ensure that we remember our mistakes and that we learn from them. How do you respond to that? Is that a, that sounds like he's making himself into an anti-Hoover. He has very much presented himself as an anti-Hoover. I mean, I should say most FBI directors since Hoover (laughs) have presented themselves as the anti-Hoover. And you can imagine why that might be. Um, And so that has certainly been part of Comey's identity. One of the things that made him appealing for a democratic administration is the fact that he really has been a civil libertarian of sorts, that he's been critical of things like the Patriot. Act. Um, and so within the intelligence community, I think he is understood as someone who has exercised great restraint and really uh, understands the past um, and some of the mistakes that were made then. So Comey couldn't have been very happy with uh, this week's headline in the New York Times, which was something like, Comey and Hoover. 
and that they there they are. They're the same thing. And I don't yeah. think that they are the same thing, in part because I don't think Comey has anywhere near the control and influence, uh, even over the FBI itself, much less over American political culture that Hoover had. Um, but nonetheless, um, he has advertised himself as the anti-Hoover, and a lot of people are saying, then why are you doing something that's so much like what J. Edgar Hoover would have done? What has the FBI done over the course of presidential elections that comes closest to Comey's role these days? Probably the moment that the FBI has been most in opposition to the White House and had a pretty dramatic political effect would have been under Nixon. Um, and so the funny thing there is that the story of Hoover and Nixon, who were very good friends as well. So Hoover was really good friends with Johnson and he was also really good friends with Nixon. And I guess that's the sort of thing that happens if you're just around Washington long enough <laughs> and you're sort of at the center of political intelligence. Um, but the Nixon White House really wanted the FBI to go even more aggressively after anti-war protesters, after all sorts of leftists in the late 60s and early 70s. And the FBI was already doing that to some degree, but they weren't doing it as much as the Nixon White House wanted. And they actually had some real showdowns over that question. Nixon was very explicit about saying that he wanted to, quote, politicize the bureaucracy, which is to make these kind of independent agencies tools of the White House. And Hoover, who was very protective of his power, um, didn't want to do that. So they actually had a series of showdowns um, and were at a pretty bad spot when Hoover died in May of 1972. Um, and at that point, a month later, you got the Watergate burglary and the FBI uh, after Hoover's death became one of the uh, real problems for the Nixon White House. Bottom line, is the FBI more subject to political pressure today or less than when it had a guy who'd been there for decades like J. Edgar Hoover? Well, probably a little bit of each. So the the structure and discretion of the FBI director's position looks really quite different now than it did. During Hoover's day, um, there were no limits on his term of office, which was how he managed to stay there for 48 years. Uh, there are now actually limits on the FBI directors. So it's a 10-year limit built in there. Um, during Hoover's day, there were no oversight committees. So outside of the Appropriations Committee, there was no one who exercised any control there. And there were also also no freedom of information laws. So at the time, the FBI sort of assumed that everything that it was doing could stay secret forever. It was the Las Vegas of bureaucracies. <laughs> right, exactly. What happened there stayed there, or so they thought, which is, of course, what make FBI documents so much fun to read and such a useful historical source, is that everyone thought that they were having a conversation that, that no one else would ever see. Um, so I think the structure of things really looks quite different. So the, does that make uh, a director today more or less subject to political pressure? Um, on the one hand, it means that that person... Uh, has less ability to kind of manipulate political situations. They're subject to a lot more oversight and pressure on their own. Um, on the other hand, it also means that they have less ability to uh, stand up and say, I'm not going to do something that I don't want to do. 
Beverly Gage is a historian at Yale University. Her forthcoming book, to be published next year, is called G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover and the American Century. And listeners, be sure to check back with us on Friday. We'll be ready with all the history you need to know about voting in the U.S.